Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have John on from Willery, and we'll be talking about his book titled HR Like a Boss. So first of all, let's learn a little bit about John and Willery. John, would you introduce yourself and Willery? Yeah, thanks, William, for having me on. So good to connect with you this way. Appreciate the opportunity to promote my book. First and foremost, I am a husband for 25 years. I'm also Will and Mallory's dad. Will is my 15-year-old son, inspiring entrepreneur and soccer player. And my daughter is an incredible artist, which I know you and I talked about that a little bit before the show. They're the, the main reason why I do pretty much everything in my life. At the same time, I'm super passionate about golf. I know that's an interesting combination, art, fatherhood, husband, golf. Do those things jive together? Oh, yes, they do. Most times they do. Sometimes when I'm gone too long, I get a lot of strange looks when I come back. But I played competitive <laughs> golf since I was seven years old and played on a Division One scholarship. And I just love it. It's a great escape for me to go out and golf and enjoy my time. And then I am a serial social entrepreneur. I'm really inspired to build businesses that do great things for our employees, that drives profitability for its stakeholders and the, those that invest in it. And also at the same time, let's make a big difference in our communities where we live. Let's give back through some of that money we have, as well as those engaged employees that drive really meaningful opportunities for us to do good things in the community. So as an example at Willery, we are a staffing and consulting firm that's focused in serving the HR and payroll space. So we are a headhunter for HR and payroll pros. We also do staff augmentation in that same area. And then our consulting practice is really focused in on advisory support and a really keen focus in on HR tech, where we do a lot of what we call client-side implementation, stabilization, and optimization support of some of the major players in that HR tech space. And our main benefactor as a social res responsible organization is a company nonprofit based in Cleveland called Youth Opportunities Unlimited, which is all about economic self-sufficiency for students that are maybe disadvantaged in some form or fashion, and they provide them with resources and opportunities to grow their career and provide unique economic opportunities for them that maybe they wouldn't be afforded otherwise. So that's a little bit about me, about Willery, et cetera. Well, and Willery, if I get this right, is a combination of your two children's names. Yes, I have a Will, my 15-year-old son's Will, and my daughter, Mallory. Yep, you got it. Done. There's a fancy word for that, William, but whenever I'm asked, I can't remember it. When you <laughs> merge two words together, and I do it a lot, but I should probably know it off the top of my head, but not synergy. Right on the spot. It's yes. synergy. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have you back and talk about Willery because I've got a bunch of questions in, in terms of the managing, the managing part or the HR tech part of what y'all do. So we'll do that in a different time, but I really want to get into your book. So first of all, all the things that you could do. Why did you write a book? Yeah, no, thank you for asking that. Yeah, it's it. The personal reason is my mom and dad passed away 2019, 2020, within about a 13 month stretch of each other. And my mom, as I showed you when we were on camera preparing for this discussion, my mom was an incredible watercolor artist. And for those who don't know about William Tincup's background, he's got a ton of really cool art himself. You should check that stuff out if he ever shares it. But the neat part for me is I really wanted to do something to pay homage to my parents. And my mom being an artist, my dad being executive, I was thinking to myself, what could I do? 
And when they both passed, you start looking at your own bucket list. And writing a book was on that list because I had some friends of mine that I know we know together, Tim Sackett, Chris Dunn, Steve Brown, Ben Eubanks, wrote books. And I thought to myself, they're really good guys. I like them a lot, but are they smarter than me? No, maybe Sackett's smarter than me, but I don't know if the other ones are. That's a plug it, Sackett. But <laughs> I just real I realized that this was something that I wanted to do and I always aspire to do it. And I'm in that frame of mind, William, that I just, if I get something in my head, I can't get it out until I do it. This That's is not- a division one golfer in you. The yeah. people that play golf, they, you don't, you can't go out there and get hurt after making a bad shot. That's, you're going to make a lot more bad shots than you make good shots. I remember my, my, my brother's a golf coach. I remember him telling me, that you feel it, you'll feel it. There's one time you'll feel this when you hit it, when you know where you want it to go and for whatever reason, using a two-iron, three-iron, whatever you're using, and it actually does exactly what you wanted it to do. Everything else is worth it. You can- yes. <laughs> so and I you'll be lucky of- to hit that shot. Your brother will probably tell you. He'll be lucky to have players on his team or if you end up being obsessed like about golf like I am, you'll do that maybe once or twice a week if right. you play a lot of golf. And not right. definitely once a round. It's not, not oh, a no, round, but no. once you hit it, you're mesmerized by it. And it's almost yeah. It's yeah. an incredibly addictive thing. But you don't give up. I guess that's the thing. Is once you kind of set your mind to something, you don't, you don't give up on the 11th hole. You don't give up on something like when you start a book, you're going to finish it. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, so my parents inspired me. That was there. There were they were the why behind it. And then I started writing a book, a different title than HR Like a Boss. And my marketing director, who was an important part of the journey of HR Like a Boss, she said, "How's the book coming along?" And I was struggling a bit with it. I think it was I put the cart before the horse. The idea of writing a book sounded great on paper, but when you actually had to do it, it was a lot of work, time, energy, and effort. And she said, "Have you ever thought about?" changing gears or writing a book about HR like a boss. And I said, no, I hadn't. Why do you say that? I had done a presentation with that same title and it had gotten a lot of acclaim, I will say. Sold out the seats that it was that were available back pre-COVID when you actually did in-person events. And it was really well received by the community. And the trick that she shared with me, which is path of least resistance, was you've got all the outline for what that presentation is. You could probably create a table of contents right from that. I said, oh, it's going to be easier for me to write HR like a boss. Here I go. So I ended up building out the table of contents and the outline for the book. And then I set a goal every weekend to write a thousand words. And while my kids were sleeping and wife was getting ready for the weekend, I would try to get up a little bit earlier than them and just write out a thousand words. And lo and behold, 50,000 plus words later, and thanks to Steve Brown, his connection with Sherm Books, we'll have a published book by Sherm in the fall of 2023. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's fantastic. One of the things about writing a book is when and you found you figured this out is when it's a passion project, like you, it's not even, it's not work. You still have to carve out the time and you're running a business, you're a husband, you're a father, you also have hobbies and all this other stuff. So you don't have a lot of time, but it makes it easier. Like I've tried to force writing a book before and I finished it, but it wasn't that good. And I'll mm. be honest, it wasn't that good compared to a book that I really wanted to write. And I a lot of, had a lot of help and stuff like that. And it was just, it was easy. Like I look back at it, I'm like, why did I try to force something that was just horrible? I, I get that. So let's go into the premise of HR, like a book, like a boss, and just kind of walk people through it. 
Yeah, no, yeah, appreciate that. It's so really the genesis of writing the book was a number of years having worked in the HR and payroll space, supporting the HR profession. I've seen them get dogged on and ragged on and kicked at times more often than they probably should. And in some cases, probably as much as they should based upon the quality of the work that they were doing and the potential based upon what the expectations were. And I just realized that engagement level, like this idea of people liking what they do when they go to work and employers actually caring for your employees seems like such a really cool idea, but no one really does it well. And so I ended up interviewing people through the idea of creating this idea of HR like a boss. And I started talking to people I thought that did HR better than most. And they started to share stories with me that resonated with the things that were in my already existing presentation and table of contents. And it came out to be these five main sections of the book, William, which are think differently. So in order to do amazingly awesome HR, and if you're not doing that today, you have to have a different mindset. Secondarily, you have to be different. I think you have to, most people think of HR in some way. So in order to do it in an amazingly awesome way and do it different than others thought, you have to act in a different mindset. You then have to be better. We have to be better at what we do. We have to be highly skilled and drive results for our organization, for our employees, for our community. And then I think bosses take action. People that do things and do them well, they're not afraid to take a swing and they're willing to whiff or in your analogy of hitting a bad shot playing golf. And then last but not least, they need to make an impact on their employees' lives, in their business, and in the community. So the book is really centered around those five main sections. We've written, again, like I said, over 50,000 words around that to help people get inspired, to believe in this concept. And they also, it's inspirational in a sense that I had the ideas, I galvanized them. They're not you know, rocket science things that you're going to read. You're certainly not going to learn how to write a handbook or potentially do talent acquisition but you will hopefully be inspired to look at your job a little bit differently. And I have a bunch of HR like a bossers, people that are not me that are quoted in the book, that are regular HR professionals that are doing it above average job and doing it in an amazingly awesome way. And they validate some of the concepts in the book. So that's what HR like a boss is all about. I love it. So two types of stories as you're doing research and even stuff that either made the book or just didn't, you can your favorite story. Uh, and you, when you're talking to practitioners, and then a story of something came out of left field or a curveball, like you weren't expecting <laughs> the story. Again, we can name names and that stuff, or not. It doesn't really matter, but I'm just kind of looking from the stories within the stories. Yeah, no, great question. I'll tell you this. The very first person I interviewed, which I did through Zoom, and this was during COVID, and it was a helpful tool for me to collect information. And I set the premise with Lauren Rudman. I'll give her a shout out. She was the first person I interviewed what turned out to be on the HR Like a Boss podcast and a forum that we've created now 100 shows, which is pretty cool and and growing. And she had a really unique story in that she got her MBA from Cleveland State. She's a fellow Clevelander. She just made an incredible impression on me while she was at the Cleveland Sherm board. She was the head of the board. And she did two really cool things while she was there. She brought Disrupt HR to Cleveland. I know many of your listeners right, are so familiar right. with that concept. And the Sherm, actually Sherm, Cleveland Sherm owns the license to that. One of the few Sherm organizations that do that. And they still have it today. They're having their 11th event sometime later this summer. 
And it's really cool that they've been the galvanized behind that since she had the vision for that. And then she also created the Cleveland Sherm Foundation, which is a give back for Cleveland Sherm to help promote students to get into HR and whatnot. So she had some really cool things to say in regards to doing HR like a boss. And she's quoted more than anybody else in the book, other than my own words. And just the fact that she's done that has so much respect in our community and really took the position, William, of I'm a business person that just so practices, just so happens to practice in the field of HR. And she took that mindset and she runs her business like a pro. And that that part, just hearing her tell her story, I knew she was really great at it. But when she got on the show and that I was able to articulate her words and her comments, that part was really cool. So that, that's the, the first answer to your question. The second part, the surprise was I didn't realize how many bad ideas I had when I started writing a book. <laughs> you write them down on a piece of paper. That's horrible. You, you cannot you know, hit control alt delete fast enough, or if you turn it <laughs> off, get it in the shredder or put it in your incinerator. If you have one of those, get that stuff out of me. And then every once in a while, the thing for me, when I knew I had something pretty good, and I wonder if a songwriter feels the same way as when you read it back to yourself, you say, that isn't so bad. And this concept that we write about in the book, it's chapter 14. It's the money slide. It's the money chapter of the book. It's around running your job like it's a business. And there's five main pillars inside of running your business. You have to have a purposeful commitment. You have to be people-centric. You have to produce consistently. You have to process continuity. And you have to understand the profitable components of your business. And when I wrote that, I came up with this play on words with all the PCs. So it was memorable for me and easy. And it just so worked out that purpose and people and process and production and profit all started with P's. And then I figured out the C's from there. That part to me was a surprise. And this is what I'll say with most surprising part of it, William, since I wrote the manuscript and it's been iterated and edited and all this stuff, I've done a number of keynotes and presentations out there. And when I talk about purpose, I'll ask the crowd, raise a hands. How many of you think you have a true intentional purpose at your business? And I'll get a very few number of them to raise their hands. And I'm clear. It's not mission. We're not talking about mission. We're talking about a purpose. And then I'll ask those few left over that have their hands up. How many of you can tell me the purpose of your company and it has four words or less and the hands start to fall down? And then can every employee inside of your company repeat the purpose? And rare, rarely, if anybody can keep their hand up. And the ones that do are typically, or I shouldn't say typically, they're all nonprofits. They all were start, they all are HR executives that work at nonprofits that have their business was started because of a purpose or something going on in their community they wanted to fix. And so that part to me is a really unique opportunity in this kind of social entrepreneurial business aspect of if we have these great businesses that make all this money or are intended to, and we have employees that are engaged and care about what they do and like being at work, you can really make a huge difference in the community. And so that part of me was the thing that when I wrote all that down and I put the words together, I was a little surprised that it came out of my brain and that we were able to articulate in a way that hopefully makes sense to people and they can do something with it. So very few people that we know make a lot of money writing books, right? They use it for, they, they have different reasons for, for writing it. So what do you want to achieve with HR Like a Boss? Yeah, like so success. I've been told that 
Yeah, yeah. I've been told that a thousand times and I'm, I didn't write the book to make money because I don't think I'm different in that sense. <laughs> Certainly didn't get a big, didn't get a big check from Sherm when I was, I was hoping for that, but I'm still waiting for that advance, William. Still yeah, I understand. Waiting. I have several friends that are still waiting as well, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it's corny, maybe cliche. It, it A personally was something that I needed to do. It just, right. it was something sticking in my brain and it was gnawing at me that I had to do it. And I'm so thankful that I did. The second point is maybe I'm a sucker for incredibly great HR, but when I've seen it done effectively, I can see the impact it has on people's lives right. on side of a business and in the community. And I keep mentioning those three things. because right. that's another idea that came out. We're in business to employ people, to make money in our business or to make enough money for it to be a nonprofit and then to do something good in our community as a result. And so my hope is that there's people latch on to the idea and that at least I can get one person to say, I'm a better HR professional because I read your book. I'm hope I hope it's more than one, but I really feel like HR has the best opportunity to make a difference inside of a business of any other department, other than if a department was a CEO. And so I think HR has this incredible responsibility. And with that responsibility comes a tremendous amount of pressure and expectation. And I think sometimes when there's a whiff, speaking another golf analogy, and HR doesn't do that, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And I'm hoping that my book can help people galvanize their own inner well-being to love what they do and to take ownership of what it is that they're responsible for and make a real difference. The one thing I'll share as a shameless plug is that I'm hoping that there's some monetary component to it while we build out this community of HR Like a Bossers, because that's an intention, not just the book, but right. other platforms inside of that. And I think that our social enterprise and why we're doing this in HR Like a Boss is that my goal is, and it's stated in the book, and we've already started this program, is I'd love every graduating senior that has their degree in HR coming out of a getting their four-year degree they don't have to pay for their SHRM certification because I think by getting into that program and getting that support, you create community immediately and you automatically get those credentials behind your name and someone will pay you a little bit more money for it. Right. And so that's our give back. That's our why. And we've gotten a lot of momentum around that and a program that we have here in Northeast Ohio that'll grow to Ohio next year, all of Ohio. And I'm hoping grows in the Midwest and then grows to the entire country over time once we get the word out. And being in Sherm's store, it'll be at all their conferences because we'll both be at annual, but it'll be at all their conferences. And it stays there in their Sherm store for a long time. I can't remember what, at one point someone told me it was like two years or three years. It stays in their rotation for quite a while. But it's also, it helps, like you said, if it just helps one person, I used to think that way when I did a lot of speaking as well. It's like, I don't have to reach the whole audience. It'd be great if I did. But if there's just a couple people that take some notes and go back to their business and actually do some of the things, I've done my job like that, that. That's the bit. That's the job. So I think having a book, you'll get more speaking opportunities. You'll get to do some book signings and things like that. Sometimes conferences will buy the book and put them in everybody's, give everybody a copy, et cetera. And so it's just one of those deals. You're trying to impact as many people as possible. And you never know. That's the crazy stuff about writing books is you just never know who you're going to impact. I wrote a book in 07 and I still have people to this day still talk about 
things that they learned from that book, which That's is awesome. crazy to me because <laughs> I've forgotten the entire <laughs> book. Yeah, exactly. You remember but, when you wrote this in chapter seven? No, no, <laughs> no I don't. No, I honestly no. don't. But it's also, it's a funny thing. I, and I do have one last question, but the, it's interesting because it was the first time in my life, I think it was Erie 2007, let's say, so March of seven. And someone asked me for my autograph and it was a person I knew and I froze because I know I I never I never conceived the idea right so I just never even thought that way and so when she asked me we were at a bar she brought up the book and she goes hey would you autograph the book and I'm like I didn't know what to say I mm-hmm. literally froze don't want to what do I write here so I just wrote my name <laughs> and years later I apologized and of course I said first of all you're the one that would, that that completely broke me because I didn't know what now, when that happens, on the occasion that it happens, I like stop down and go, okay, cool. Thank you so much. What's your name? And who'd you like for me to you know? You get to a point where it isn't as scary as it was that first time. The first time it freaked me out. And I, and I okay, of course, froze and all that stuff. But the last question I got is, okay, so this one, it's almost out on the shelves. It's almost something you can, you're almost to the finish line. This is when a lot of authors start thinking about their next book. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, William. Thanks yeah, a lot. Yeah, don't I worry, Sean. I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd leave it yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, no, appreciate that very much. <laughs> Let's no, get on a limb. Just, yeah. just see how you're doing, John. You're out there on the limb. <laughs> exactly. But my, my mic's on mute. I can't talk. <laughs> yeah. My wife would say, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're crazy. I want to add one quick thing to your story about the autograph, and then I'll answer your question. Give me a time to to think about the appropriate response. (laughs) (laughs) There was a friend over our house a year ago, and my daughter at the time was 11. And I'm not sure my daughter really knows what I do every day at work. Right. Oh, no. totally fine. My kids have no idea. I talk on the phone all day long. Yeah. You're in meetings, et cetera. (laughs) And this friend is over and starts talking about the book and says, Oh my gosh, are you going to, you're going to, you're going to, someone's going to ask you for an autograph. How are you going to sign your book? And my, my daughter did what you did in that bar. (laughs) She stopped and froze and thought to herself, why in the world would someone want my dad's autograph? That's exactly correct. That is your daughter. Very insightful. That's exactly what the same thing. Why would you want my name? Yeah, I thought the same exact thing. The first time I autograph, I have an autograph. I'm actually thought about this for a lot for a year. And I have a few more months before the book actually gets printed and whatnot. That And thankful to you, you just said, okay, what's your name? And who would you like me to write out to? These I practice these things in my head. But whoever that is, they're going to get a a picture with me because I'm going to take it and show it to my daughter and say, this was the first person that actually signed, had an autograph for them, Mal. And that's the cool part. So I don't know. It's like you. I'm... I don't write the book to stroke to stroke right. my ego. A lot of, of people do. It's, yeah. it's not the reason for it, but and, and but you do get your ego stroked as a result of it because you're an author and people compliment you with that. But to be candid with you, I had another book as I mentioned in my story before uh-huh. when I, I flipped over to HR like a boss that I have actually had more time to think about. And the title of that book in my head is "I Got It All Wrong," and it's this <laughs> idea of the mistakes that I've made in my professional life that I think if I had a chance to talk to myself 25 years ago, I would probably really benefit from them. 
and it'll be a shorter story. I probably don't have the momentum of writing another 50,000 plus pager. Right. But depending upon how well the book goes, maybe, maybe the Sherm editor will be knocking on my door to, to write another one, but well, I'm, you I'm can just never putting tell. one foot in front of the other. Well, yeah, you can never tell the book that you've got that's already partially done. It's like the mistakes that you made. Sometimes when you think about them, were they actually mistakes? Some of them are yes, egregious mistakes, so fair enough. But some of them, you wouldn't be where you're at if without if you hadn't made those mistakes, if that makes sense. No, so, it totally does. And the genesis for that book, William, came out to me when, again, this go back goes back to my golf stories. When I was a kid... I was fortunate that we, my parents had a membership through my dad's work at this country club and very, very blessed. And I was such a golf nerd. They had a pool and tennis courts. I went to the pool one time in eight years and I was there in the summer and all I did was golf. All I did was golf nonstop. I was observant enough. (laughs) I've got a bunch of Caddyshack images going through my head right now. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. The Caddy stories are great. (laughs) So 15, 16, 17 year old version of John Bernadovich. I'm there golfing. I have a lot of time on my hands. Very loving and supporting parents. I'm getting better and better at golf. I'm doing well in school and getting potential opportunities to get a scholarship in golf. But on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, around one o'clock in the afternoon, there were a lot of grown men and women there that were playing golf. Right. And this is a work day. Right. And over time, I ended up asking them, what do you do? How do you make your living? And time again, I own a business. I started a company. I'm a lawyer. I'm a this. I'm a that. And so I thought to myself, oh, I want. So this is how I so this is how I get to play golf during the day. Exactly. I start a business. (laughs) And so when I started my business, the last thing I could do was play golf. And I worked nonstop 80 hours a week. My wife would tell you were a maniac because I didn't want it to fail and had something pretty cool. And I'd say 25 years later, I'm finally able to play a little bit of golf, William. So (laughs) in my mind, I saw the thing I forgot when I was 16 is that those people were 48, 49, 56, many years older than I was when I started my business. And they put a lot of time, energy, and effort into it. You see this 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 is the story my brother like I said he's a golf he's a high school golf coach so he play he, he coaches both the girls and boys team and every couple of years he'll call me and go I just I need to make more money I need to make more money I just I, I, I it's tight and she's she works for the school as well and we just don't have enough money blah 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 blah, blah. and you're flying around going to Singapore this that and the other it's just I need to make more money I'm like dude stop you've made it <laughs> you play golf every day of your life every day of your life you play golf for four or five hours a day like there there are men and women out there that would give yes. a kidney to be able to do that like yes. you just do it every and then you get to go to tournaments and watch kids play golf and play yourself dude you, you've already you've achieved what everyone else is trying to get to and so you know it's just a funny bit but John, I, I could talk to you forever, and I can't wait to read the book myself and learn from you. So thank you so much for coming on the show, and thanks for writing the book, too. I can't wait to see it, and I just appreciate you. Hey, you the same. You keep up what you're doing. I've marveled at what you've been able to create for yourself, and you got your brother jealous of you, kid brother or older <laughs> brother, one way or the other. That's pretty cool. You got him for a little bit, right? Yeah. Unless you want to be playing golf for I hours want- every day. <laughs> can we switch places no (laughs) brother listen have a wonderful day and thanks again for coming on the show you got it all right